From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. This episode, our guest is Steve Bennett, our assemblyman from 38th District, which includes Ojai. I've known Steve for a long time, several decades, and always been impressed by his, uh, not just his earnestness, he's in it for the right reasons, I truly believe that, but also his effectiveness, he gets things done. Uh, This is a very wide-ranging conversation, and uh, as you can tell, Steve knows what he's doing. Hey Steve, thanks for joining me. Hey, you're welcome, Brett. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know, um, you know, the recent election had some lessons for us. Uh, you know, the red wave did not materialize. In fact, mm-hmm. in California, the Democrats picked up a seat or two. Now mm-hmm. the supermajority has expanded. It's what, 62-18, something like that. So right. yeah, what does that what does that look like for you in Sacramento? Well, I think what you see in Sacramento is you see Democrats uh, of, of, of a wider range. In other words, the Democratic Party has has a bigger tent um, as uh, more and more people realize that the best way to get elected is to be a Democrat. Um, and so the, the, the range between, you know, the, the, the progressive Democrat and the moderate Democrat is, is, is just, you know, is, is, is significant. Sure. Um, so it's larger, but on, on key democratic values, social issues in particular, you know, things like, um, you know, pro-choice and uh, and those kind of things there's there's pretty pretty common agreement uh, i think healthcare probably is a little bit more of a gray area but certainly on the on the social issues of gun control and, um, um, and, and and uh issues that uh socially but it's the economic area and that's why healthcare is sort of a gray area but on the economic area, that's probably where there is the greatest variance in terms of what a Democrat yeah. stands for in the California legislature. Well, yeah, a Democrat in Modesto is going to look different than a, you know, Democratic exactly. Socialist of America from Santa Monica or Westwood or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bay Area is, is certainly, you know, far more progressive generally um, than Central Valley Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder, are you seeing any fractionalization or factionalization would be a better way to put it in the, in the coalition? Because, uh, it happened in New York and that's, you know, worrisome. I mean, I doubt it here. I think California's solid blue record is, you know, something to rally around. I, th- I think, I think it stays solid blue. I think that it's just, you, you have to work harder to, you know, to, uh, to, to get the, uh, to get the agreements on, uh, on the issues. And it's, and you still, you know, it's a challenge to get to 41 votes, even though there are, you know, uh, more than 60 Democrats. Uh, it's a challenge to get to 41 votes on the, um, more, uh, you know, on the bills. issues that, yeah, on, on, on the issues, on the assembly bills that are, um, the ones that hit right at this, this divide, which is economic issues primarily. Yeah, because there's no sense that you have to have every single vote. It's not like the Democratic caucus in the Congress exactly. here, or in right. the Senate. Yeah, where there's no room to spare. So, yeah, how did that happen? Because it was not that long ago that California was a swing state. Uh huh. I think two. I think two things have uh, have really caused that. One, um, the Republican Party, I think, just has has gone 
they, you know, made the decision that the best way to get elected was to play hard to the to the base and ignore the old formula. If you remember when you and I were growing up, you know, you you in the primary you you might have been more extreme, but in mm. during the general election you came back to the middle yeah, line, trying to pull left. in the modern. Yeah. But uh, now, uh, the Republican Party, it's like tack harder to the right, mobilize. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, sort of the classic polling numbers that they realized was that instead of trying to attract moderates, it was more important to mobilize um, the base and have them all turn out and you wouldn't need the moderates. Well, that, mm-hmm. that formula, you know, worked temporarily, but it meant that you increasingly to 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 do well in the Republican Party, you had to be further to the right of whoever your opponent was. And so it gradually has drawn them so far to the right that they're simply not acceptable to uh, lots of moderates. Um, and that would have naturally have, been affiliated on economic yeah, issues exactly. and social issues to some degree. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're if if in each and, and and so it's it's taken a while, but with each successive wave, you had to become more conservative to survive the Republican primary, and, and consequently, they've now you know moved moved that far. So I think that's that's probably the big thing. And then the second thing is I, I think the Democrats um, you know in California um, have you know made some some pretty intelligent. Uh, organizational moves that have helped uh, sort of take advantage of that fact. Yeah, uh, get out the vote. So that, yeah, exactly. Those kinds of things. And, and you know, and how, to, how to raise money. But I think also uh, what positions to support and to, to uh, certainly, you know, strong progressive values, but, but rational policies that uh, are actually, you know, you can implement and, you know, Make make common sense and uh, have people feel like the party at least uh, is trying trying to to address the needs of the average person. I think people have lost yeah. sight of that. In a the Republican a little party. accountability. They're trying wow. to score these. Uh, well, you know, California has had quite a history of being you know right wing politics. The John Burt Society was basically right. born here. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, you know, the Hofstadter, the um, paranoid style in American politics, that was a lot of that mm-hmm. energy came from, you know, right. Orange County and places like that. I just wonder, that it, um, is that, it still that, there? It's that, still there. Yeah, that's, that, that energy is still there. The, those, those people are still there. But the demographics have changed dramatically. You know, I mean, back with, uh, you know, Prop 187, you know, all the way back in Pete Wilson. You know, days. Yeah, 90, yeah, you, you, yeah, you, you could you could get elected on a strong anti-immigrant platform. You could you you know you could get a proposition like that to pass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now there's still a significant percentage of people that would vote for that, but that percentage dropped from fifty-five percent to thirty percent or twenty-five percent. You know, and so you have uh, dem- with the demographic changes. Uh, the, the, the Republican Party moving harder and harder uh, to the right and farther and farther to the right flies against the demographic changes taking place in California. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about, uh, you know, Latinos should be culturally a naturally conservative coalition because, mm-hmm. you know, socially family values and all the old right. uh, rubrics of mm-hmm. conservatism. Uh, but not in uh-huh. California. You don't see the Republicans picking up votes like they do in Arizona or Texas. And I well, wonder what makes the, what makes us different. Yeah, you don't see the Republicans picking up the votes, but it is a it is a potential for the Republican Party. The difference is the Republican Party here in California can't uh, can't combine picking up those, those the, the conservative Latino movement. With their uh, right wing movement, um, that's just and, irreconcilable. So, 
yeah, it's very, very yeah, very difficult, you know, with the anti you know anti immigrant uh, rhetoric and all of that. That um, just doesn't, you know, you, 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 there's there's not a critical, there's not enough of a critical mass of Latinos that are willing to move that far. But I think it's something the Democratic Party has to pay attention to. And will yeah. my guess is if we're having this conversation 25 years from now, we're going to say that, you know, think about the Irish, you know, when the Irish were solidly Democrats, you know, but uh, you don't have the Irish ethnic, uh, there's a large part of that that's moved into the Republican Party. You know, and you think about, uh, you know, the Fox, you know, the Fox commentators and all of that, you know, Bill O'Reilly and stuff, but they, oh, yeah. they represent that, you know, third even before generation. that Rush Limbaugh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they represent that third, you know, that third generation of Irish or fourth generation of Irish that have then swung all the way. And so I think that's, uh, you know, very, very possible, um, uh, out of the, uh, out of the Latino movement. It won't necessarily be anti-immigrant, but on all the other uh, issues, uh, I think it's very possible that, uh, that's a, that's a place where the Democratic Party has to pay attention. And yeah, so I think in some, ultimately, it, pickup opportunity for Republicans if they yeah. ever uh, decide to move away from just who can who can move farther to the right. Yeah, the fringe. I just yeah. uh, wonder if the Democrats in some weird way are sowing the seeds of their own, you know, loss of that coalition because of their, well, their successes and creating a yeah. equitable economy where people have those opportunities. That That's the, that is the, that, that, that is the common cycle is a party, you know, uh, does well, but it, it, it does always, you know, the, the things that have succeeded, it, it does always start to sow the seeds of its, uh, Reaction. its demise in terms of, yeah, demise in terms of power. I mean, the Democratic Party used to have a complete lock on the House of Representatives. Um, mm-hmm. they certainly don't have that as, yeah. yeah they don't uh, they don't have that any longer um and uh um uh, so yeah i think that's that's an that's a, a wise observation on your part well i think uh it's not mine i think uh al gore senior when he lost a senate race in the i don't remember when 50s don't quote me but he mm-hmm. said that um it was because people could afford to vote republican because of the economic engines of the Tennessee Valley Authority and all the other New Deal uh, projects. Yeah, right. He said mm-hmm. uh, his dad told him, you know, this guy and first guy in the county to have a pickup truck went by and he goes, see, son, that's a Republican. That was like the, you know, the wow. um, the solid South and those poor right. working class. They were yeah. voting for their own self-interest at that time. And yeah. now they can afford not to. It's a... Right. It's a weird uh, paradox. Well, and the civil rights movement, uh, civil rights movement is the number one reason why the South. I think so. Unfortunately, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Richard Nixon certainly saw that. He saw the how well George Wallace did, just being blatantly racist, and you know, Mm -hmm. took a took a page out of that book. Yeah, and Lyndon Johnson. well, I was saying, you know, Lyndon Johnson said that same thing when he signed the Civil Rights Bill. He, he was mm-hmm. proud to have done it, but he says the Democratic Party will now lose the South for two or three generations. Yeah, 25 years, he said. Longer than that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the dialectic, you know, the react, the forward motion and then the reaction. Yeah. It's yeah. just, uh, it's interesting. So how, um, you know, maybe you talk a little bit about what is currently on your plate in Sacramento as it might, you know, impact the 37th Assembly District? Well, it's the 38th Assembly District 38th? Oh, my God. I can't even keep track. The redistricting commission is always like one cycle ahead of me. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, 37th, I had Santa Barbara and Ventura. Now I have only Ventura County, but twice as much of it. So, um, but... uh, Probably the biggest thing is water that uh, I'm focused on in, in Sacramento that, that will affect us here locally. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about uh, overpumping of groundwater 
um, about trying to mm-hmm. get that back to, you know, trying to get us back to sustainable pumping of groundwater, um, do a better job of recharging of the aquifers, uh, pushing for desalinization at the local, you know, to, to, to make it easier to approve local modest sized desal plants for coastal communities. So water is uh, the I have more bills on that than uh, any other single single yeah. topic, um, and it is one that is I think absolutely you know essential for us here in uh, Ventura, yeah. Western Ventura County, where we more than other places have tried not to rely on you know state water. Um, well, yeah, uh, for, I, for good for good reason because it's structure. not it's yeah yeah, it's yeah. not reliable. Have you ever read then, uh, Cadillac Desert, Mark Eisen's yes, book? Oh, yes, my I God. did. Yeah, that, I, I think that should be mandatory reading for anybody who's <laughs> in California. Yeah, wow. I've, been, I've been reading quite a bit on water, how the Israelis are doing it. And, you know, oh, yeah, their irrigation systems are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah they, just, they, they nail down every dollar. But almost everybody else uh, that's, that's, I think, more effectively addressing water isn't locked into this old-fashioned water rights that were established back during the gold mining days That's where it was right. just first first come has, has highest priority. I mean, <laughs> just because somebody established a gold mine on this river, you know, a hundred yeah. uh, years ago doesn't mean that uh, we ought to have that be how we set water policy in California. Well, yeah. so, you know what uh, uh, Mark Twain so, said, waters, or whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. Yeah. Sure. Right. And so, so anyway, that's a big issue. It's very difficult to move water bills. Not most people don't want to move water bills, but I, I was able to get my uh, biggest water bill last year to move through eight committees, and only in the last committee did I lose, uh, which nobody had in six years been able to move a water bill uh, at all out that of any far. of the committees. So, so I'm going to keep focused on that. I'm also uh, very concerned about this conversion from a carbon economy to a carbonless economy in terms of having a rational implementation plan for that to happen. And there are two major areas. I mean, everybody's talking about battery technology. Well, if yeah. we're going to do battery technology, we have to get this grid much more resilient and we have Flexible. to have much better planning exactly for this grid to be ready to handle all of this. And everybody's kicking the can down the road on that. It's really easy to pass it, you know, goals. Hey, we want to, by 2035, we want to be at such and such. Well, mm-hmm. well that's nice. To, it's easy to vote for, but then implementing it is difficult. And one of the implementation steps that's really uh, lagging here is having hydrogen as uh, an alternative and a backup to battery technology. Uh, if you think back to the days in the 1950s, Internal car companies bought up all of the uh, uh, electric cars and the electric yeah. car patents. What if instead we would have had a robust electric car uh, uh, industry competing with internal combustions for these last 75 years? That would have happened. The world would be in literally a very different spot here in terms of being prepared to handle the transformation, you know, for climate change reasons. So I, I want to make sure that we have hydrogen and battery technology competing with each other. And I'm joining forces with a small group of other assembly members and state senators um, to try to make sure that um, we have the proper investments in hydrogen also. Because I, I, I'm absolutely certain that we won't be successful doing it all with battery technology. Yeah, well, batteries um, have its own problems. You know, rare earth sure. minerals, that's uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's like that's blood, the, Achilles the, heel. the blood diamonds of the 21st yeah, century. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, uh, uh, and, and the battery technology people, a lot of them are putting a lot of effort into trying to kill hydrogen. Um, and, yeah. uh, and because they don't want that competition. So that's not going to be good for Californians to not have that competition up there. Um, yeah. so that's the, uh, that's the second one. The third one is, is, uh, just all of this income inequality, uh, this growing income inequality. We, we have to take a stand and try to bring that to an end. Yeah. That's before the guillotine blades get sharpened. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, 
it's well, it's what's fueling, you know, the um, the struggling people, you know, struggling working class. You know, they're much more receptive to demagoguery if they're constantly, you know, feel like they're falling behind, like they. You know, it's not a fair struggle, and and all of that. And the system is rigged. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sets it sets things up for for those kind of movements. So, yeah. Anyway, well, that yeah. sounds like a, so we a just busy got, agenda. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It is. It, it certainly water uh, uh, is uh, a full time job up there. It's every bill, when I moved it through eight committees. I had to talk to every committee member each time. And we would just win by one vote each time mm. at each committee. It was amazing. But we Is only it, have a couple uh, other Lyndon minutes Johnson, here. Uh, buttonholing in the cloakroom kind of politics. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is that. Right? Yeah, well, exactly. it's relationship yeah. politics. I think people forget mm -hmm. that because, you know, 120 mm -hmm. uh, representatives and 80 in the assembly, you can know your colleagues and you can know their mm -hmm. their children right. and the names of their pets and sure. all those other yeah. things that uh, – that really should be driving politics, relationships, and, and not you, ideology. And you know, yeah, and you know when uh, uh, when somebody is coming out of a committee hearing because they just testified, and you know that if you meet, if you're in the hallway, you'll be able to meet them and catch them right before they go into the next committee that you need their vote at and stuff. You know uh, those kind of things. Yeah, nice. but we only got a couple other minutes here. Uh, got anything else you want to? Uh, well, I do want to continue this conversation, so um, we'll, we'll, I'll get with your um, scheduler. Yeah, my scheduler. And, uh, great. All right. So Sounds about, good. Uh, well, right. political role models. I want to get that one on the book before we – You know, yeah. Well, when, when, when I was growing up, uh, it was Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, you know, I grew up in a working-class Democratic Union family, uh, and uh, certainly Franklin Roosevelt was – who they talk about. I liked uh, Truman for just his you know, grit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Truman was uh, a, a leader on civil rights stuff. Way Absolutely, before. yeah. He integrated uh, the yeah. military. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I really liked uh, you know Truman from that standpoint. And I liked Gary K. Hart. Okay, uh, the, the monkey the, business. The, the, yeah. The, the, huh? I, yeah, that the, was the a, state. The, yeah, the state. The state senator here, you know, that represented the area. Oh, he wait was, a minute! Not the Colorado Gary Hart. No, not the Colorado. Right, that's okay. Gary L. That's a Gary K. Um, and uh, the state senator here, you know, he uh, he was he was willing to you know put California in front of party, um, and uh, uh, he 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 got some things done and. In Sacramento, that everybody uh, went. He, the only way you could do that is to, you know, be independent-minded, uh, uh, you know. And he was he was able to pull some some uh, some good things off. And what uh, when when took, was this? Took a lot of heat. Uh, this would be in the late eighties. Uh, okay. Late eighties uh, is when he did that. Um, and education reform was a uh, you know, big, big thing in his part. Yeah. He took took on a lot of powerful interests and stuff. Right? Caught a lot of flack, um, but uh, got some things done. All right, yeah, we were just talking about political heroes, but one of mine is Hiram Johnson. And I'm sure, as a scholar, you are aware of the progressive movement and and all those impacts and mm -hmm. and just wondering about, especially. You know, direct democracy seems like such an obvious idea, especially with technology, but it gets so confusing when you get those big fat voter pamphlets and mm -hmm. just wondering what's your take on that? You know, you know, my take on it is there are problems with the initiative process, and I think that's the thing that we most associate with the progressive movement. But first, I would would digress for a second and say there's more to it than dissociating that. I mean, the direct election of senators uh, was huge in sort of breaking yeah. the power of corporations. And, yeah, breaking the power of corporations and everybody uh, because they just strangled everything in the Senate. Uh, and uh, so direct election of senators was, was really empowered people. And uh, the other aside I would, would make is that uh, while there are problems with the initiative process, uh, the, the fact that the 
citizens have the ability to do that has also motivated good legislation to take place that is probably crafted far more thoughtfully uh, than most of these uh, initiatives have been crafted yeah. uh, with more checks and balances. And so just be- the fact that the, that the elected pe- of officials know that the, an initiative could be launched does have a beneficial effect, even though you don't see it all necessarily. So you have to weigh the legislation that was passed uh, mm. because of the threat of initiative also. That being yeah. said, I think that the initiative, like everything in a democracy, you can't come up with a perfect arrangement. And as long as, particularly the Supreme Court rules that money is is free speech, um, you're going to have big money be able to take advantage of uh, all of the uh, idiosyncrasies yeah. of the democracy. Was that Buckley uh, versus so Vallejo that money is uh, is free speech is money are yeah, you talking yeah. more like and, the citizens united and and citizens both, both of them together uh you know create the you know create the, the the lock on you know the ability of big money to you know spend unlimited yeah. sums uh, you know to, to move forward um just think that there's lots of ways where you could theoretically challenge that but that yeah. being said the, the, the when the corporations are funding these initiatives um, and using paid signature gatherers for them, I think we're much more likely to have inappropriate legislation move forward. And one of the reforms that I think really works is to go, if you have an initiative where grassroots citizens went out and gathered all the signatures, mm-hmm. you have a true citizen's initiative, right? And I'm much less worried about that than I am about paid signature, than I, than, uh, I am about, you know, these corporate uh, initiatives that are out there. So I think one of the things would be to just make it illegal to have paid signature gatherers. Uh, we gathered, you know, 100,000 signatures for the SOAR initiative. We did it with volunteers, right? And uh, that's... that's 100,000 just in Ventura County? In Ventura County. Wow. Yeah, right. And um, And that's not easy to do, you know, but that's just showed you that it was something that people cared enough about to give up, you know, mm-hmm. six or seven Saturdays standing out in front of Trader Joe's or the local grocery store gathering signatures. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, you're more likely to get good, um, initiatives out of that. But then you are the confusing, the confusing welter of say gaming initiatives, this past election cycle, I couldn't make heads or tails of that. Yeah, and that and that just that just shows you the you know the, you know the big money side of it. And the other thing is the public oftentimes gets it right, but sometimes the initiative you know the the amount of money they have you know it, it overwhelms. So mm-hmm. it's not perfect, uh, but it's that classic line you know that democracy is not perfect, but it's better than the option. And yeah. I feel the same way about the initiative process that we have better than not have process we wouldn't have many things yeah well what um you know how's your journey to well first i want to ask you what is a just an average day like in sacramento with you know your time in motion like what uh, yeah so uh, you know the average day is a combination of meeting with your staff to find out how the progress is going in terms of the you know 10 to 20 bill ideas that you have moving forward. They're, they're, you're not going to introduce all of them, but there are 10 to 20 concepts that you think would be good for California. And they're, a, they're in various stages of being ready to present. Uh, they, they, you, you know, you have to talk to a lot of stakeholders to make sure you've got the information you need uh, to make to, to come up with a bill that you think really is is a good workable bill, you have to submit it to a ledge council. They have to legally write your your bill up. You have to have it go in front of a, a number of committees. Mm-hmm. You have to know when you're supposed to go. So one part of your day is 
is is checking and working on your own particular bills. Another part of the day is working with your staff on evaluating the bills that are coming in front of you in the committees that you serve on. And uh, I'm, I'm the budget subcommittee chair, so I'm spending a significant part of each day doing all, you know, learning about all the agencies and their budgets that are in budget subtree, which is transportation and natural resources. And then a, a, a third part of the day, because I'm going to be holding hearings there and people are going to come and say, the governor's budget, you know, the May, I mean, the January, you know, budget cut this and put money here and we think there ought to be money here instead and this cut shouldn't happen but you could take the money from over here and then the third the horse day is well not no that's not that, that that horse trading is something different this is what's what's the right priority should the governor you know for example he he cut out uh uh the uh sort of the smart streets, smart streets or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mobility options, you know, more bike lanes and stuff. He cut $200 million out of that. Um, and people are saying, you know, he cut that and that's where we're going to have the bike lanes for, uh, and we need the bike lanes more than we need the $200 million in subsidies for uh, EV uh, cars. Because we okay. have a huge subsidy, we've got. If we got a billion dollar subsidy for EV cars, is it better to have a, a billion two for that and and two hundred million less? So it's a prioritization that people are trying to you know lobby you on, not not horse trading. And then the third thing is meeting with stakeholders. Uh, they're not always lobbyists, uh, but meeting with stakeholders who have opinions about the bills that either your you're you're working on or the bills you're going to be voting on in committee so that's the general part of the day and it's for me usually a series of 15 minute meetings with stakeholders mm-hmm. um and hour meetings with my staff an hour an hour meeting with my staff on the bills an hour meeting with um with the uh committee uh, with with the committee staff on this, you know, like the committee that I'm chairing, mm-hmm. I have a staff and they have to, you know, brief me on all the stuff going on in sub three, you know, that I need to know about. And like if I was a, if I was a chair of a non-budget committee, they would be briefing me on, we've got these 25 bills have been submitted by various legislators this past 10 days and they do all of these things and these are the ones we think are good bills these are the ones we think shouldn't move forward right now mm-hmm. these are the bills that we think sh- should move forward but only if the author is willing to take these changes they're sort of experts in those fields so the same thing's happening with the budget you know people are i like the people who lobby me on that but then the the staff heard that and now the staff's tasked with reporting back to me on Monday. What do they think about this request to increase, you know, funding for, um, you know, bike lanes and, and mobility, you know, mobility options, uh, and uh, potentially decreasing funding somewhere else? One possibility is, you know, is on the EV cars, the 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 bike lanes and stuff could potentially serve low income people. The EV cars are mostly being purchased by high income people. That's an argument that that they made on on Friday. So staff staff will analyze that. How much can we, you know, how what what do they think of the validity of that validity of that? So I'll have an hour with them. Then uh, then I might be back with my staff for an hour on. Uh, so the first hour was on my bills. The second hour with my staff may be on bills in the very the five committees that I'm on mm-hmm. that uh, are uh, that are going to be coming in front of me that I have to vote on and then it's some stakeholders uh, and then it's you know a couple of meetings with assembly members who I'm either trying to partner with to move legislation or they want to pitch me on legislation that they want me to hear about or they wanted to talk about other things not specific to legislation but just assembly uh, dynamics you know we're forming mm-hmm. a progressive caucus and you know uh, would you like to serve as such and such role in the progressive caucus would you be on the would you are you willing Even to be caucus in the progressive with us caucus? What, yeah what are the bylaws so it's 
and the, and the beauty of the job, Brett, is just the variety. I mean, you know, you're uh, the I breadth of with, issues. I, yeah. 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 I, I met with the JPL people telling me how you tell us what you want and we can get you information on what the groundwater extraction is. We can get you information on where fire risks are. And, you know, so JPL people. You're, you're meeting with them one minute, then you're meeting with somebody on mentally ill, and you're meeting with somebody on Native American know, police, issues. And- yeah, police, police reform, and then it's yeah Native American, and then it's then it's somebody's got some some trails ideas, and and then so just the variety is is, is really interesting. Yeah. What about well? I know it's a knotty issue, but infrastructure. How we're not able to build anything in this country anymore, and the outrageous expensive well, to put in a mile of rapid transit or you know compared to yeah. like france or germany where they seem to have a much more streamlined system yeah well number one a big part of it has been the the, the paralysis at the federal government level and you will see some significant building take place now as a result of biden getting during that short two-year period that he had you know uh, control of the House and yeah. <laughs> kind of marginal control of the Senate, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He was at least, so you're, you're going to see some things move, uh, certainly significant improvement. A lot of private dollars are now moving into clean energy proposals because they know there's there are, you know, lots of federal dollars to help match if they can come up with, you know, sort of winning proposals. Um, you, you know, you You'll see, you know, we, we have, we've been able to build highways pretty well. Um, we're not good at building things like the bullet train. You know, I went over to Japan um, to study oh, both hydrogen and their bullet train um, this past fall. And they had the same problem we have. They had to give up on trying to build a bullet train with the government building it. After, you know, five or six years, they just were not making any progress. They turn it over to the private sector, and they, you know they've got the best bullet train set up in the world. Now you know mm. you can set you can set your clock by it. Um, you know, so some some the, the bigger and more complicated the project is, the less likely you're going to get government to be able to do it well. And, and part of it is the lack of steady commitment and funding. Uh, from yeah, the well, election cycles keep things from getting too, um, you know. Yeah, too, too steady. Yeah. 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 So and, and you know, our, our form of government is very different from the European parliamentary style government. The European parliamentary style government is designed to say, you know, have a government that can get stuff done. And if it can't get stuff done, we're going to have another election. So they mm-hmm. may have more elections. But when you are in power, you have power. Right? You know, yeah. uh, the, you know, the, the executive branch and the and the legislative branch are in sync, and so they can get things done. Um, here, we have a system that's designed for paralysis uh, with uh, with the significant checks and balances, and you only get things done when you have sort of unanimity. Uh, yeah, super majority or tremendous yeah, unanimity, right? And then then that's even you got to have the 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 old the older generation represented by the Supreme Court. And I don't mean older. In years, but older and who, you know, previous generations have to also that appointed those Supreme Court justices. There has to be some kind of, you know, philosophical overlap there, right? So there are just a lot of hurdles, you know, to get everything to line up in our democracy by comparison to democracies that use the parliamentary system. Yeah. Well, would you support a multi party um, system? Because I'm I'm a bipolar guy. I like the. Um, clarification of, you know, I think those uh, I, coalitions like the Nesset or France and Germany, especially, or they can get up to mischief. Well, they, 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 they are weaker in one sense, but they're stronger in another when they finally do have a, a coalition. So I, I, I like the, bi- I like the, you know, the, the two party aspect mm-hmm. of it. But the checks and balances combined with the two-party aspects of it have uh, have paralyzed us uh, more than uh, more than we should let it paralyze us here. I mean, yeah. you know, it worked. I think the more uh, 
sophisticated, complicated, and interdependent society has become. I mean, back when we were, a, you know, an agricultural, you know, when virtually everybody was a Agrarian. farmer, and you said these small, yeah, these small, small cities, yeoman, relative to today, you you could you could have a government that could be paralyzed and. What you didn't want to do is have the dictatorship come in and, and take over. Now, we have to have a government that's much more nimble if you're going to have the Internet and all the changes. And, you know, here, everything's everything's okay until you get this coalition to come together and say, oh, we need to regulate that. Well, that's that's hard to pull together fast enough to keep up with, with modern society. Yeah, I think the, the system trails the advances of technology and and they're shooting further. at a moving. They're shooting at a moving yeah. target, and, and trails farther and farther as things move faster and faster. Right? Yeah, the system, is that good the system or bad? hasn't. System hasn't picked up its pace. You know, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think overall, collectively, you, if you looked at this growing income inequality, that is just devastating. You know, uh, and you has know, uh, dire consequences. Yeah, that that I think you have to say overall. You know, it's 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 not a good thing that our democracy isn't able to keep up. The changes in our democracy aren't able to keep up with the changes in. in yeah, it's got uh, a kind of gilded age exactly. feel to it, you know, gilded age. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Piketty. He had that book, uh, kind of Capital, talking about yeah. the equalizations that happened in. Economies are the result of all the wealth being wiped out in world wars. It's kind of right. it's kind of dark, but it's true. Once everybody's leveled out like that, we're all starting from the same place, or relatively. But it seems like we right. slip back into that uh, rentier economy. You know, we're all everybody's just yeah. collecting rents. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's it is. Well, climate change is a huge physical risk. Of, that's the biggest societal risk that we have. This is growing growing income inequality in it. And the ability of the concentrated wealth at the top to block efforts to to change that. Yeah, that can be really catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. So, just like the it, fires, it, 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 and I'd say it already is catastrophic for the people at the bottom. Yeah, these wildfires. Yeah. I know the Thomas fire was the largest fire in California history. Now no, it's uh, what I'm, ninth. I'm, yeah, I'm not talking about climate change being catastrophic. I'm talking about income inequality. Oh yeah. Well, some somebody somewhere sharpening the guillotine blades. I'm afraid. Yeah, that's how and, I see and, it going. And the people, you know, the you know the, the people trapped at the bottom are, you know, I mean, you know, a large part of the MAGA, you know, Trump, yeah, it's you frustration. Know, it's really angry, insecure white guys who haven't been able to make it financially, you know, who, who, are, who are, I shouldn't say haven't been able to make it, but they're under financial pressure mm-hmm. and they, they're resentful of, of all of that. And then they're manipulated by wealthy people who demagogue the heck out the, of them. Yeah. Yeah. That know, know how to, how to use, use their anger. Right. And, uh, that's, yeah. that, that's, 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 uh, Societal wise, that's the bigger threat. I mean, that's the biggest threat. And then climate change is the biggest physical threat. So, yeah. so we got five think, more uh, minutes. We got five yeah. more minutes. So I want to make sure you get your most important questions. So. Oh, okay, Steve. Well, thank you. You've been generous with your time. I guess um, the main thing is I just wanted to talk about your getting into politics uh, again. I mean, you were a school teacher, but you know, you went to Dartmouth as well. That's a Ivy League school. Oh, you went to Brown. I Sorry, to I got mixed up. My cousin went still to still an Ivy League school, but yeah. not, yeah, but not Dartmouth. So, right. what was the? You know, did you always have some kind of public policy um, desire? No, you know, I was really happy being a teacher, uh, and uh, what I what got me what got me going was I saw the urban sprawl. Uh, wow. Here in the late in the late eighties, and I went that this isn't good for Ventura County. We're going to lose agriculture. We're going to become the San Fernando Valley. And so I tried to join forces with some other people to, to stop that. And uh, I thought that, and we had great success. We we found a slate of candidates to run for the city council. We got them elected, and I thought, yeah, this is great. 
every two years, I'll just spend six weeks running the campaign. I ran the slate campaign. Is this in the 90s? This was, yeah, this was in, uh, uh, was it 89 or 91? It was in 89, in 89, right? And and I thought, that's great. I'll just do this every two years and, you know, uh, get a slate elected. And then in 91, we couldn't find any good people to run. And Mm. I started to look and figure out why. And it's because uh, the, the, the the big money was made it easy for if, if you wanted to be a pro development candidate, it was easy for you to get funding. If you were a, a busy teacher, a busy doctor, uh, uh, you know, somebody who had a, you know, productive life that didn't depend on development, um, you didn't have time to go to city council meetings and uh-huh. sit there until two o'clock in the morning and stuff. And zoning and, so and planning realized, commissions and where all the, yeah, I just gets realized done. how, how hard that was. And so I ran um, to give us a candidate for our for our group to actually support, thinking, well, two years later, we'll, we'll find candidates the next time. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we, and what I've learned is it's a lot harder to find good quality candidates because most of the people that you would call a good quality candidate are busy doing other good, important things in the community, and of they course. don't want to you know, spend that time. And so um, I became more concerned about the good government side of it being represented. And uh, I decided to, you know, run for the run and see if I couldn't, you know, sort of drive a, drive a stake in the ground in terms of good government candidates ought to, you know, ought to have a shot. And that's why I did campaign finance reform. I, we, you know, we have the strictest campaign contribution limit laws yeah. of any, of any county in, in the state of California, you know, and, uh, and, you know, tried to create this environment. But in spite of all of that, it was just hard to find good, credible candidates. So there's yeah. too well, many, it's messy too and people, people want to get, they don't want to get mud slang and, you know, yeah. the fracas. And, it's just, uh, and, and, and the people that do, want to be somebody more than they want to do something. I think you're right. So, it's status. You know, uh, and, and that was, and that was a problem. But anyway, so once, but once I was, was in and moving at it, I, I, I went, I love teaching. And if I'd have been, if I'd have been a elected official for 20 or 25 years and had the chance to teach, I'd be, I'd keep teaching, if, yeah. but I'd been a teacher for 25 years. And so it seemed like this was the, the next step. And, and I've enjoyed sort of trying to take on, you know, the bullies in the system, you know, the, oh, the you know, the, the people that are blocking good government. And, uh, oh. and I've, I've really enjoyed that and trying to build a coalition of people that, don't have time to run for office, but are willing to support a candidate who is willing to do that. Yeah. That's been a real joy. But that and the intellectual stimulation are the two things that okay. keep me motivated. The supporters that say, we're going to support you because you're there for, for the right reason. And then being there and, and learning all of this, these intellectually stimulating things to try to say, you know, is, is carbon capture a good way? You know, to yeah. stop climate change or not. Well, I just went to a four-hour presentation on that yesterday, and I've learned a lot more about carbon capture than I knew, and I'm much better at answering that question, whether we should make that a big part of the solution, a small part of the solution, a contingent yeah. part of the solution, et cetera. Yeah, well, um, last thing, um, speaking of intellectual stimulation, anything you've read or media you've consumed that you can recommend? Well, The Economist magazine is the one thing I religiously try to read oh, yeah. from front great. to back every week. I don't do anything else unless I get that done. So I'm not reading books anymore or any of that stuff because I need – between family, the 13-year-old, my wife, and the job, uh, my reading time is not much more. And then all the stuff I have to read. Yeah, you know, probably hauling job. binders around uh, all the time. Yeah, so um, so – the Economist magazine, but I think it's just it's been a godsend in terms of keeping you up on all those things. Uh-huh. Uh, it's much. It's a great. It's it's a great source. Yeah. All right, Steve. Um, I hey. think we can wrap it up. 
And uh, All right. well, thank you so Good much. Luck. That was great. I let, appreciate let, it. Let me know what what you do with this and how you use it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link when I get it posted up, and probably be next week, maybe or the week after. All right. Thanks All right. A lot, thanks, Steve. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, just thinking out loud. So, as you could tell from that um, talk with our assemblyman, he's well versed in a lot of issues. And, you know, one hour of talking to Steve, it feels like 10 minutes of talking to most people. He's got a ability to, uh, I don't want to say talk, he has an ability to communicate on many, many issues quite fluently. And it's great to see somebody who is in politics for the right reasons. Sometimes we get a bit cynical about the self-serving dealing that we deal with. And, you know, it's a real fault of the system. As he mentioned, that people go into it who are looking for the self-aggrandizement rather than being able to help. Um, That's not really been my experience. Most of the politicians I know even maybe they did start out looking for status, but once they are versed and informed about the needs and the job and how the system keeps them on track, they start to come around. My, my favorite example, and I won't get too far into it, was Chester Allen Arthur, who became president by accident when uh, James Garfield was assassinated and You know, he took a bullet, could have easily been saved, but they kept experimenting with different um, techniques and so forth. He basically died not from the bullet wound, but from the ensuing infection, which took three and a half years or or three and a half months for him to pass away. But Chester Allen Arthur was the port collector of New York, and that was how government was funded back then, was through collecting tariffs and duties. And New York, as the biggest port, meant that was the biggest source of graft and corruption. And Garfield, who was a Civil War hero, also like Steve, started out as a teacher. In fact, became headmaster while he was still a student at an academy in Ohio. But Arthur, as a candidate of the political machinery, had a, a very interesting change of heart. Um, there was a crippled lady who started a correspondence with him and really held him his feet to the fire. So she was just uh, very articulate and very determined to make Chester Allen Arthur live up to his promise and his ability. And she succeeded. There was some antitrust legislation that Chester Allen Arthur helped uh, promote and sponsor and sign into law that the very same people who put him in office were bitterly opposed to. Uh, it was an interesting time back in America in the 1880s and cleaning up after the Civil War and opening the West. And it was, uh, you know, capitalism had a free hand. So somebody like Chester Allen Arthur, who was what we would call today a swamp creature, to turn into a earnest civic do-gooder is uh, an example of what I was talking about, how the system can make people better. Anyway, just thought you should know. That's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.